I appreciate you doing this, brother. How you been? I've been good, man. You been good? Yeah, man. I can't complain. Works good. I'm, we're getting back to work. Just had baby number two, so. Um, Congratulations, man. Yeah, man. It's nuts. We had our, our baby boy first and just had the baby girl, so two and done. We're, 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 we're out of here. Um, no, nah, man, let's, let's get it rolling. I want, I want you in and out. We don't have to use all, all 20 minutes. We don't have to, cause I want to be conscientious of your time. Um, you know, let, let's go back 12 years ago. Okay. It's this Dan Lanning guys in his third year coaching special teams and defensive backs and wide receivers, basically doing everything, uh, up there at Park Hill South high school. Um, and, and you take a, a trip all the way out to Pittsburgh. Anyone who's read your Wikipedia story kind of knows the story, Coach. But if, for most people, I've never heard it, man. I've really never heard this story. You drove 13 hours to Pittsburgh to basically stand outside Todd Grantham's office and ask for a job? Yeah, I got there. Uh, yeah, I remember, like, I pulled over to Love's gas station right before I got there. It was, like, 5 a.m. I put on a suit. Uh, for what I, I wasn't able to park in the pit parking lot because they had these gates down. So I parked a little parking lot away and then I walked to the facility. Door was cracked, got in the door, sat in the lobby there, um, you know, early in the morning until, you know, late morning and realized nobody had been there yet. It was kind of, you know, caught off guard because the coaching staff, um, you know, the new coaching staff generally is going to be there earlier, right? Yeah. And, uh, by 10 a.m., nobody had showed up yet. And then the GA comes in, uh, Eric Thatcher, and he's like, oh, yeah, all the coaches are at Penn State today, man. I'm sorry, they're doing a clinic. So so I drove all that way, and they weren't even there. So I actually stayed the night in Pittsburgh that night. Was fortunate enough that the defensive coordinator, Keith Patterson, the next day um, came back and was willing to meet with me and uh, told me he had a job for me for, as a quality control and pay, like, 800 bucks a month and uh you know you pour coffee and you do breakdowns and and uh it was exciting that was the beginning for me so first, my first college job why why the decision to make the jump because i'm sure there's a thousand you know I don't, we're not that big of a platform but there's a, a million coaches high school coaches across the country that have i'm assuming that feeling that you had that that need to to leave where you were at and go chase something bigger and you just jumped. You're like, what? What? One day you just decide. Like, what? What? What goes into that? That's a leap of faith. I mean, I've been. Yeah. I, I knew I always wanted to coach college ball. I've been sending resumes and letters to people for a better part of three years, um, and hadn't got a lot of responses. So this is the first time somebody really called me back and said, "Hey, we might have something. I'll call you after signing day." And when they never called, I told my wife, "I got to get in there." So that was kind of the beginning. And for me, I've just always operated, you know, I'd rather not be stuck with the pain of regret than the pain of failure. Like if I fail, so what? But if I regret that I never gave it a chance. And so I just asked myself, okay, if I go take this job um, with a significant pay cut, a, a pregnant wife and a one-year-old, you know, could I three years from now, if it doesn't work out, go back and become a high school coach and a teacher again? And the answer in my mind was, yeah. But I might not ever get a chance to coach in college again, you know, because I, I've been trying and pursuing that for, for several years. So for me, it was I couldn't I, I didn't think I had a choice. I couldn't pass down the opportunity to coach college ball and get my foot in the door. And it was certainly a lot of hard, you know, in between that point when I got in and actually getting that first full time job at Memphis, um, you know, division one job at Memphis. But it was certainly worth it too. And I wouldn't go back and change any of it. Yeah. It's, it's really a crazy art to think that, I mean, just what 
12, like 12 years ago, you're coaching high school football. And I mean, not even that eight years ago, you're still, a, you're a graduate assistant in Alabama. I mean, I mean, yeah, 2015, I'm in, I guess, seven years. I mean, even I was a GA at, at Alabama, so. That's, that's, I mean, it's, it's quite the, the, you know, art that you don't really see. Normally it's like you bounce GA to GA and position coach and then position coach, position coach, DC, like all the way through like a 12-year arc, you seem to climb it really, really quickly. I'm, I, I, we go through the list of all the, all the stops, and, and there's a lot of talks about coaching trees nowadays. Would you consider yourself a, a, a Todd Grantham guy because you followed him out there at Arizona State? Or would you consider yourself a Norvell guy? Or, or, or are you under the, the Kirby Smart coaching tree that is now three deep, right? It's, it's you, it's, it's Coach Mel Tucker, and it's, it's, it's Sam Pittman. Uh, three's a tree at this point, right? Well, I mean, do you want to throw Shane Beamer in there? He was on Kirby's oh, wow, yeah. staff too, right? Yeah, yeah that's so, true. I mean, Todd Graham, Norvell, Casey Keeler, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart. I feel like I really learned a ton from from all those guys, and I wouldn't. Um, obviously, I guess I fall under each one of their trees, uh, and I don't know if each one of them want to claim me or not. But <laughs> I'm just very fortunate to get to work with the variety of people I've got to work with and the unique situations. I mean, I think obviously if there was a moment that sparked an opportunity for me, if you go back and look at that 2015 Alabama staff, I mean, it's it was easy. littered with a bunch of all stars. Yeah, yeah, I mean. You know, Billy Napier, Mel Tucker, Kirby Smart, um, Mario Cristobal, uh, Lane Kiffin, you know. It's very akin to that that 2006 Miami Dolphins staff that Saban had up there that's just littered with a, an entire coaching tree. Right. Well, I think what, you know, what, what stuck out to me about my stop at Georgia and my time at, at Alabama is I legitimately felt like every coach on this staff is truly an all-star. Like, they're really the best of the best of their perfect. There wasn't a dud. You know what I mean? Usually yeah. when you have 10 coaches or nine coaches, I mean, even GAs on that staff at Alabama, I mean, you, we had Doug Belk, who's the D coordinator at Houston now, mm -hmm. Wes Neighbors, who's at Maryland, Charlie Weiss, who's the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, you know, several guys that are coaching ball, you know, um, at, 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 a, at a high level. And it was just a fun, fun staff if you were eager to learn and you really didn't care what you made and you just want an opportunity to win, it was a really cool environment as a young coach. So I was fortunate to experience some, you know, I have a lot of men, I have a lot of coaching mentors. It's not just one person for me, but learning from Kirby, learning from, you know, Sam Pittman, you know, um, you know, I remember that day he got that job, you know, like yesterday. So a lot of those moments are really special to me being around those guys and just feel fortunate that I got to be a part of it. I think a lot of people could do, and be in the situation that I've been in. Um, mm. I don't know that a lot of people would have continued to do it after they had three kids and they're, <laughs> you know, they're yeah. gone bankrupt and they're on EBT and they don't have insurance. And there's probably a point where my mom and dad were like, hey, you know, you, you could use that degree. Um, and I just kind of pushed it until I knew it wouldn't work anymore. And, and luckily it broke. You know, when Mike Morvell gave me that first opportunity at Memphis, um, I feel really blessed and fortunate that he took a chance on me. So grateful yeah. for that opportunity. I would say the same. No, no, no slights to Sam Houston State to the world, but I would say the Sam Houston State days were kind of dim. Yeah, I mean that was fun, but you know what? We played in the semifinals versus North Dakota State, and they were a powerhouse. Casey Keeler might be one of the best head coaches I've ever worked for. It was definitely a different part of the journey, but that let me check that box of having my own room. Um, you know, my own position, get an opportunity to go on the road recruiting, you know, beyond just as a, I mean, as a GA at Arizona State, 
I was signing players but never going on the road. Yeah. And that's just not the same experience. But those long drives to Corpus Christi and having that Tex-Mex and <laughs> working the trail at Sam Houston was certainly a critical part of my success. And, um, you know, working for, for the coaching staff. I mean, on that staff, there's a guy named Matt Pallage that's there. And now I've hired him here as my co-defensive coordinator, safeties coach. You know, so there's just... You never know when you're going to run into phenomenal coaches. They're all they're at different levels all over the place. You just you know you come across the right guys, and I've um, been really fortunate to have you know some good ones. Yeah, I study a lot of these coaches' staffs, and it's really a collection of relationships. That's what I find throughout all of them. There's they're all interconnected. You've you've either crossed paths with someone that you you were imprinted on, or someone that made an impression on you throughout the journey. I I kind of want to jump to 2018, where you know. You're on a, a another loaded staff there at Georgia. Now it's and, and Mel Tucker leaves right after that season, and, and you're tabbed just after a year. What I, I guess the question is, what did you do in a year to to leave an impression at such a rate where when there's a defensive coordinator job now, of course, there's a co DC job that was uh, uh, you know awarded at that point to Coach Schumann as well. But how were you, I guess, tabbed as the one within just a year? What what did you do about or go about doing in your day-to-day habits that made you kind of get, I guess, anointed, if you will? I know that's a poor choice of words. Yeah. Well, one, I would never, I would never say that I was in a, I was in a unique situation to do with such a great staff. But I think there are several guys that obviously are, are coordinator quality and coaches that made that place so special. Um, that it certainly wasn't, you know, that I was sitting in a situation that other people weren't or weren't qualified for. for sure. I would also say that I didn't, it wasn't like a one-year interview. You know, I was Kirby's GA at Alabama. Mm-hmm. I think you saw that firsthand that time there. And then my experience at Memphis for two years. And, um, and then, you know, the reality is when there's opportunities in front of you and opportunities are created, I think that also, you know, opportunity creates opportunity at the place you're at. And, um, I had some opportunities in front of me and I'm lucky enough and blessed enough that Kirby trusted me and gave me the opportunity to be the D coordinator, but I certainly didn't do that by myself. Having, having coach Schumann and, and Kirby and Trey Scott and, um, you know, that year, Charles, Charles Moore, like just really all the pieces to that puzzle were really critical, um, you know, to me having the opportunity to have some success there and, um, grateful that I got that chance. You know what I mean? So we had, we had a, uh, an all-star group, but I think, I think people think that you can interview, do an interview and you get hired. And the reality is that's not how it works. You interview for jobs every single day, right? When I'm, when I was the GA state operated as if I was going to be the inside linebackers coach or the TV's coach. When I was the, the DB's coach or the linebackers coach at Memphis, I prepared myself as if I was going to become the D coordinator. And I had a plan in my mind of if I was going to do this, no different than I was the outside linebackers coach there watching, you know, Mel Tucker every day. He's one of the best I've ever seen at relationships and uh, coaching the coaches and coaching the players and just watching that day in and day out. I think I operated watching that knowing, okay, if I was going to do it, what would it look like? How would I do it? And I think coach smart recognized that and, I think you recognize we had a couple of all-stars, you know, I'm not calling myself an all-star, but I recognize we had a couple of really, you know, good young coaches that love ball and worked well together. So it just made sense probably at that point to keep that continuity and keep growing. All-star group of coaches obviously led to a, a eventual all-star group of players. And, and that's where I guess we'll transition next. You guys coached a really special bunch last year. Um, and this kind of is, I, I, I guess, a, a two-pronged question. The first question I, I would ask about last year 
is kind of what did you learn about watching a, a great group and maybe what did you learn, I guess, about championship DNA, if that is such a thing? Because um, correct me if I'm wrong, was is this your first, this was your first title? Is that, is that correct? I was, in, I was in Alabama in 2015. 2015 as a GA, yes, sir. Yep, as a GA, but this was certainly my first title as a, as a position coach, you know, as a D coordinator and a position coach. Um, and I think I've told everyone, I, I know I'm pretty certain that Kirby's probably said some of the same things, but, you know, ultimately we, I felt like we always had talent at Georgia. I definitely think last year was our best talent. It was, it was a compilation of several good years of recruiting. Um, but I don't think the talent was just the reason alone that um, the Georgia won. You know, last year it was because of the brotherhood in that room, the trust that we had for each other, the experience. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, you had a group that really cared about each other, um, that battled for each other, and wanted to do, didn't want to let the guy next to him down. You know, that was a that was a big piece for coaches, coaches and players alike, and uh, probably more unique than anywhere I've ever been. But also you know, a level of trust, like people are going to make mistakes. And then how do you grow from that mistake? We didn't, you know, break down and rip each other. We, you know, we took those opportunities and grew from them. So, um, certainly a lot of, it was, it was a great time. You know, it was a, it was a special, special, uh, special for me in my career, being around players that I love so much and coaches that I appreciate and love so much. So kind of all came together. All right. I got to ask you some football questions. I know it's hard over an audio medium. Um, but I guess my, my first question is the people that I talk to that I respect in the football world kind of give you the head nod in terms of invention of the simulated pressure. Where did you get it? Who who did you see it from? How did you change it? What is a simulated pressure? All the above. Yeah, um, I certainly didn't invent it. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, when I was a GA um, – Really looking back at my time as a GA at, at Alabama, you know, one thing that Nick always did a great job of, and Kirby always did a great job of, is, hey, let's find some some stuff that we can, you know, steal from other people uh, or borrow from other people that can make us better. And the year before, Alabama had lost against Ohio State and, uh, you know, the national championship game mm -hmm. or a game going into the national championship game had lost. And, you know, one of the things that presented some trouble for Todd uh, Tom Herman at the time was the mint front or what we call the mint front zeros yes. and four eyes. Uh, so we wanted to know a little bit more about it. And, you know, the principle behind that defense is really it's a three, four defense where the outside linebacker away from passing strength could be activated as a rusher or be a dropper mm -hmm. and be for the flat. And one of the most common calls they're playing there was a version of quarters from the zero and four eye front. And then the fourth rusher would be an inside linebacker. And sometimes it would be a delayed rush. Ball came out quick. It might, they, they might not rush at all. Um, but that was kind of a little bit of the beginning of, okay, you got three guys in the, in the rush. And then one of these linebackers could be, become the fourth element of, of the rush. Um, you know, and, and it doesn't necessarily, I know that's not, that's not by no means is that an invention, but. Um, that was what they were really doing. And Tom Herman actually hired Todd Orlando uh, at Texas, and we studied a little bit of what they were doing. And they had some elements of it. And he was really running, you know, Dave Aranda had been running um, at Utah State, at Wisconsin, and carry over there to, to LSU. So you start watching some of those defenses, and you realize, hey, they're starting to bring a fourth rusher from some different locations, maybe starting mm -hmm. with that tight front or that mint front. 
Um, and then you start noticing, okay, here, now they're bringing a corner, but there's still only four guys in the rush, and they're playing a traditional coverage around it. Now they're bringing a safety. Now they're bringing a star. And I think we just started to grow that, and there was a lot of coaches we met with, whether that be um, you know, coaches in North Carolina, whether that be Pat you know, Tony, the defense coordinator there at Florida now, um, whether it be you know guys from the um, Aranda tree, you know the guys at Baylor. Um, you know, there's just a lot of people that started to kind of build off of it. And I think there was a kind of a group of coaches where we like talking ball in the off season with each other and bouncing ideas off, and, and it just grew. You know, so um, it's like so, not something I invented or we invented at Georgia, but something we they grew for for us that became pretty effective. I, I know this. I mean, coaching is imitation at its finest. It's like it's what you all do. You find something that someone else did great, and you try to pick off of it and imitate it and apply it to what you do. But is it common for that many coaches to just be sharing that many just grandiose ideas like this all the time? Probably not. Uh, <laughs> Probably not. You know, I think that you you find a network of people that you enjoy talking ball with 100%. in the offseason. But, you know, and I think ultimately one thing that was good for us at Georgia and, and in my time in Alabama is if you're pretty good, generally people want to share some ideas with you because they want to know what you guys know too, right? And mm-hmm. we were fortunate enough to have some good defenses to where you you could really get in a position where you could bounce some ideas off of each other because you know what? You did a couple things pretty well. They did a couple things pretty well and you do an off and you're like, hey, these might be talk ball with, right? Yes, sir. I think that's kind of that's kind of the position we were in is we were playing good defense, but we didn't want to stay the same. We wanted to continue to improve, and we were able to kind of pull some ideas from other places, whether it be, you know, there was a big transition from, like, 2018 to 2019 when it came to TFLs and sacks for us, right? Like, yeah. that's something you'll see that we drastically changed. Well, guess what? We went and studied teams that had TFLs and sacks, and we tried to make some determinants. Is it a scheme? Is it a combination of both? Is it how you play your DNs? Is it your... Is there certain calls you get more TFLs on as opposed to others? Is it how you play empty? So there's all these things that you want to factor in, and then you kind of sort it down to, hey, here's a here's a group of teams that fit us. You know, Syracuse, they get a bunch of TFLs, but they also give up a bunch of big runs. Mm. Maybe they don't fit us, right? Is it the team? <laughs> so who plays complementary football but also is able to create some negative plays? And that's when you start to narrow down, okay, who am I going to study? Who fits me in? Um, that's, you know, I feel like we're pretty fortunate to do that. And it doesn't always, doesn't mean you take every idea, but you might walk away with two new ideas in the spring or in the, in the fall that you can carry into your. 100% coach. I only got you for a few more minutes. So let's talk about September 3rd, right quick. Uh, A lot of familiarity between you guys, obviously it'll be talked about a ton. Um, I guess what's the biggest advantage do you think there is for so much of, you know, no, like commonality between you, whether it be, Bo having experience against these guys, you having been the defense coordinator or vice versa, or is it just a wash because you both know each other so well? Yeah, I don't think there's a huge advantage. One way or the other, you know, as well as I feel like I, I know Georgia, that they know me um, and kind of, you know, my, my values and what I kind of stand for. Um, you know, maybe the one under, you know, underlying factor is they probably don't know as much about what we're going to do offensively as we know you know, what they'll do offensively. That being said, I got so much respect for Todd Munkin and Coach Smart. And every week, those come up with goals and, and things that are different. And obviously, they have elite personnel. Um, you know, so the, there's not a, there certainly isn't probably an advantage one way or the other uh, of us knowing each other. Um, you know, there, there's a benefit to being on both sides of that. 
coin. 100%. You've seen the guy a lot. Obviously, he's a scout team quarterback for a long time before he even became a starter. When you think about defending Stetson Bennett, I guess what do you worry about most? What do you what do you think about going into taking away? What, what when you're game planning for 13, what are you game planning for? Yeah, you're just game planning for a winner. I'm not gonna tell you all the trade secrets and how we want to try to beat Stetson, but ultimately you're game planning for a guy that's a winner, um, that doesn't get stuck in bad situations. He's able he, he's obviously extremely intelligent, understands what Todd and Kirby are trying to get done and get accomplished in the offense. It's something he's you know, very comfortable in with this amount of time, the amount of time he spent in that, that system. Um, but yeah, he's a winner and, and you're going to have a hard time putting him in a corner and getting him to do one thing or another because he adapts really well. People attack him in different ways and he still, you know, he adjusts on the fly and you go look at over time, the games this guy's been able to win in and how he's been able to perform regardless of situation or, um, you know, regardless of the amount of respect he gets, the guy just goes out and takes care of business. So, you got to have a lot of respect for Stetson and how he operates. I appreciate you, Coach.